magic of the sunstone, you're tuned into the Jewel Riders Archive. Hey, Jewel fans, I'm Chris. And I'm Ronnie from the Jewel Riders Archive. We are here today with the Circle of Friends and Greg Atore. So we've got Lisa from the Princess Blog. Hi. And Stormy from the Avalon website. Hello. And resident awesome toy producer Greg Atore, who worked on Jewel hey, Riders. Hey. Welcome. Hey. So, Ronnie, why don't you get us started with some of our topics for today? This is our annual conversation, I guess you could say, with with Greg. Uh, we usually do these as written interviews, but we thought it would be really fun this time to do our our Christmas conversation as a podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christmas is always that time of the year when we think about presents and toys and Santa's workshop where they have toys. So let's talk about <laughs> I'm toys. Sensing a theme of toys. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, dolls and toys, pretty much. And I mean, you know, honestly, this is the time of the year that you would get those Toys R Us catalogs and you'd see all the awesome new toys that are coming out. And of course, in 1995, Princess Guinevere was on the shelves. And this year, since we're celebrating the 25th anniversary, we wanted to not only talk about the toys themselves, but some of the inspiration. So two different things with regards to the Jewel Rider dolls. Firstly, the history. So Jewel Riders came from an initial concept where it was a, basically a adaptation of the Dragon Riders, a Pern story. So we're going to talk about that transition of how it went from Dragon Riders to Jewel Riders. And then something that was quite a bit of a fan favorite was the fact that there was supposed to be a 12-inch size fashion doll of Guinevere and possibly the rest of them, in addition to the smaller size doll action figures. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that. That's the two main focus. And then after that, we're going to kind of talk about some other fun toy memories and toy ideas that we might have had as kids. So that's pretty much the, that's, that's the start. Yeah, so I guess to get us started, for those who don't know, uh, Jewel Riders, which was originally a concept based on Anne McCaffrey's Dragon White Riders of Pern novels, and which is kind of an odd place to start for a magical girl toy line. But, but it always was, I mean, that, that whole series sold extremely well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, for female readers. And so it was a good starting point for that. And yeah, it, it had never been exploited, you know, you know in terms of TV. And, and there were how many novels? Day. At least a, a dozen? <laughs> There's about yes. 20, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm, you're right. Yes, because, well, because Todd McFarlane wrote a bunch. and Not Todd. Todd McCaffrey, oh, her son. McCaffrey, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then I guess there was a... There was a daughter, too, who just started writing. Yeah, there was just another one released in the last year or two. Yes, and I, now I've never read hers, but I it's read sitting, some of... It's the, sitting on my shelf, sons. unread, <laughs> as of yet. Please tell me how it is. Yeah. Because I, I, I read his, and it was like... Uh, it was yeah. just, you know, it was a copy, and he kind of yeah. went back to what you know, mom was doing before and just renamed. It was kind of like watching, you know, Star Wars, you know, Star Wars episode seven. seven. <laughs> yeah. That just happened to be an awful lot like, you know, 
four, five, and six. Oh no, we need to blow up this big planet weapon. Yeah, <laughs> from the it's, not empire. Yeah. <laughs> so see, well, now here's my idea though, really quick, is that when you're talking about the fact that the Emma Caffrey books had done so well with a young audience, or at least with a female audience, but was that more like teenage? Because again, the focus of usually an animated series is going to be more kids. So I really don't think that children are reading these books because to me the first thing that immediately makes me think of was the fact that the black cauldron now i don't know how successful that chronicle actually was i mean it sounds like it was mildly successful amongst the fantasy people but then when disney turned it into a children's cartoon it just didn't jive so that's that's kind of my initial red flags you are certainly right about that i mean that that bombed there was there was there certainly was a fan following of that book series and the Disney version took so many liberties to it that the fans didn't like it either. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sort of like if you ever watched that old animated Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Disney takes liberties. They're more improvements like adding fun songs and, um, simplifying the story in such a way where it's more intriguing. And I don't think that any of the changes that they made to the black cauldron were actually improvements. You mean you didn't like Gurgi? <laughs> <laughs> Gurgi like munchies and crazy. Exactly. <laughs> but I think on, you know, there, there is a specific set of the Anne McCaffrey books, dragon song, dragon singer and dragon drums yes. that focus on, a younger set of characters who are musicians. Music is sort of the way they teach kids in Pern. And the musicians are the people who kind of raise children and, you know, go on their own adventures outside yeah, the of the Harpers. actual dragon ride. The Harpers. Thank you. Harpers, I was like, yeah. I knew there was a, I knew there was a word for it. Yeah. Well, I, I think what, what Robert found in that was, here is a proven here's a proven world that has done well. So if we take that proven world and put it into targeted animation, you know, we can make it fit the other category too. We can we can expand it with uh, you know TV animation and and bring in a different audience and bring in a different viewers and and from that viewpoint it 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 had what the toy companies were looking for at that time. And, um, and I, I, I think I might've written out this story before, but what was in, interesting to me was, you know, I was in the group at Mattel and um, I was in the group called LSP, which is large dolls, small dolls and plush, which was basically anything but Barbie for girls. And, and one day I was handed that, that, those pages that that you have copies of now, which was the treatment for it. And they were like, do you know anything about Princess or know anything about uh, Writers of Pern? I'm like, oh, I love creating Writers of Pern. (laughs) (laughs) I can just sense your enthusiasm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I hopped right on it. I was so excited to be on it. Um, And I read it through and I gave my official, you know, response to it and writing saying, Oh, we really need to do this, blah, 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 blah. And then crickets, crickets, crickets. And then one day, a, 
a Dragon Riders of Pern t-shirt appeared on my desk. And that was it. I never heard another word. And later I found out, no, we passed on it. Um, Without really more explanation? Yeah, I was I was given no ex- more explanation. Now, you got to remember, in that particular scenario, I was the bottom rung. So, you know, they don't always tell the, the peons what they need to know. Um, so that was really disappointing. It was like, oh, I, I was so psyched out to do that. It was literally on my list of projects for me to do. And then it kind of went away. But as what I heard from Robert was that it was all set, ready to go, that even Mattel was interested, but Anne McCaffrey got cold feet and decided that she was afraid that animation would ruin look, feel, image of what her, the, the wonderful world she created, and so she pulled the plug on, on allowing it to happen. Now, someone said that Anne McCaffrey didn't want people to write fan fiction of her stuff i don't know is that yes that, yes, that that was true okay so i'm just wondering now again another disney reference but is this kind of like pl travers where she's kind of like you know didn't necessarily want her thing to be envisioned by someone else it just seems like certain creatives they really just don't want you know their literary characters turned to media like that's just not necessarily what they want to do you know from reading in author's notes in Anne McCaffrey books, I always got the impression that Pern was like the world closest to her heart. You know, the one she was more attached to than any of the other things she's read, she's written. So I cannot kind of understand that she would really want to keep it in her own hands. Yeah, or if not in her own hands, then in the hands of somebody she would implicitly trust. Yeah. I mean, you honestly have to say that. I mean, it's I love Princess Guinevere from the bottom of my heart. But I, every time I look at it, I wince at the animation quality. <laughs> it is a little special. It, it yeah. is. And, and some of the shots are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then and then they turn and then it's like, what? You know, um, which so I, I can understand. I mean. I, I get what her her issues were, and I can't say I could blame her for any of that. Mm-hmm. And the cartoon from the pages that we've read seems like it would have been aimed much more at teenagers than children. And most of the books are really more aimed at adults. So it would have been a definite change from Anne McCaffrey's vision of her world. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely was. And, of course, you know, and I can't remember – now what the main character was called but i but but certainly melody melanie sorry melanie was <laughs> one of the primary characters of that that cartoon push it was her and you know, it was and her music and the dragon the lesson was the the son of lessa and falar okay the main characters of the books Okay. I, th- I think he was going to be the the main like male lead of that. I, I guess I should have actually read that before I sent it to you. <laughs> it's, it's been a few oh, okay. years. Well, I was so excited when I was moving boxes the other day, and I found that folder and went, oh, they're going to love this. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think that Chris salivated all over it. I mean, that's, you know, that's exactly what you wanted. I mean, because one, you do like that literary, you know, source. You enjoy the Dragon Riders of Pern, but also just to see what the very, very early, because to us, Enchanting Camelot was as early as it got. And we had really only learned about that within the last couple of years. So to know that there was an even earlier idea that this sprung from, you know, it's something that has kind of been going around the fandom for some time on the Internet, but no one really ever had concrete evidence to say so. Well, and the, the funny thing was this was I was on one of the big chat groups for uh, Pern. I don't remember which one it was, but in fact, I think I'm still technically connected, but I've asked not for notifications anymore. And someone brought it up once and I mentioned, hey. I was there. I read it. This is what had happened. You know, <laughs> and then I got all of these, you know, armchair quarterbacks going, ah, she never would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought, you know, like, look, I even gave my credentials in that statement saying, look, I was here at this time. I read this and I mm-hmm. talked to the producer, you know, but. Anyway, so I think that shortly after I stopped following that because those people, those fans, which it's a shame because I love Dragons of Pern. Um, I, I go through, I, I go through Dragons Singer and Dragons Song probably once a year. Um, oh really? Yeah, that that's how much I love it, and and then Dragon Drums maybe every two years or so. Um, but yeah, I just I, I love that series, and so it was really a shame that it didn't happen. And so, oh well, yeah. You know, and it's funny because the whole reason why we wanted to discuss this was because when we had posted some of those materials on our social media, we just got this wave of interest from fans that were like, I had no idea that this was something that, you know, that they had tried to base upon Pern and that's so cool. And I just, I love that. And I love the Pern novels and everything. So I think with successful movies that have been created since like how to train your dragon and other movies. And like how we said, the black cauldron has a cult following. I think that there definitely would have been a cult following of a dragon writers animated series, but I don't know if the right market for initial release would have reacted the way that they wanted it to. Again, I, I, I just don't think that the target market was the right demographic. Well, and the one thing I will say is at that particular time, the I can't remember if she was the CEO or the president, but it was Jill Barad who had been running Mattel for a long time, whether she had the title or not. And she was she was instrumental. She was one of the people that made Barbie the gigantic success it was. And she was one of the first people really pushing for female empowerment. And um, and then there's that that whole tie in of what happened at Mattel with the um, Wonder Woman and the Star Riders, which ironically I ended up stealing all of that tooling <laughs> to make Disney toys. But then when I went to Kenner, I took those Disney toys and made <laughs> those into Princess Guinevere. But right. the thing she was so in, she was so passionate about making that happen. 
and actually making Wonder Woman happen and actually got a VP at Warner Brothers behind her that allowed her to change colors of Wonder Woman just to do that. But so the thought of if if that really happened and Jill Barad was still pushing things because she is a force to be reckoned with. It would have been interesting to see, you know, she wouldn't have put up with Bobot and their crap. She would have steamrolled <laughs> over them and, you know, or bought their company and said, oh, yeah, now do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, so from that aspect, I think it's very exciting. It's a very exciting possibility of what could have happened. Well, you know, and here's the other thing, though, is that when we talk about what could have happened, I think the way that I like to see it is, you know, Bobit took over Jewel Riders after, you know, Mattel passed on it. They went to Kenner. Kenner shopped around, blah, 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 blah. Um, But when Mattel said, hey, like, let's try to do a Magical Girl property as well, and they made Tanko, you know, yes, they had a doll line to support it, just like Jewel Riders, but Jewel Riders seem to have had a lot of other merchandise created and maybe some other tie-ins. And again, maybe because it was a smaller company, whereas Mattel, I feel like once Tango didn't prove itself, they were kind of like, eh, moving on. And it just they kind of just dropped it really quickly, where at least Jewel Riders got a second season. You know, internationally, it did well. So I think that if it indeed was made by Mattel and even made by like some place like Saban, I, I think that if it didn't do as well as they had hoped that it probably would have been dropped a lot quicker. But I think that, that, you know, Bobit saw marginal success with Jewel Riders that they actually kept it on. So I'm kind of glad that Mattel didn't get it, but yeah, you kind of well, wonder like if it had done well, would it have been like Barbie, you know, would it have exploded? Yes. But, and a thing to keep in mind in the way that Mattel and Hasbro were structured. Um, so I mentioned that I was in the large, small doll and plush group, and then there was the Barbie group. Okay. So those were the only two girls groups during, from the time period of, of 84 to 94. And, and then in boys toys, you had things like, the Wings and Wheels group, you had the Action Figure group, and there was another group. I think it was the Make and Play group that eventually went away. And then there was Preschool. Um, and they thought of lines in those directions, and that was actually one of their downfalls. Whereas at Kenner, I was allowed to come up with any of the role-play toys I wanted or expand it any way I wanted because it was more property based but at mattel they had so many different divisions and things that they might say oh no this other division has to do that and they might look at it and go i'm not doing anything else for that property why would i want to do that (laughs) and so you are right that they never would have done anything else for tanko unless the, the line sold right um, right. well, now, one, one of the odd little funny things, I don't think I've said this to you, was when I was at Kenner working on Tenko, I was on calls with the team that were from Saban, and um, one of the head people used to be one of the head marketing people at Mattel. So that was really funny going, oh, Peter, Peter, remember me? This is Greg. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's always funny when those things happen. 
mm-hmm. it's 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 a blast. So it's interesting to that I think that was one of the reasons why it was pushed that Mattel picked it up. Probably was I know that Peter Peter I forgot his last name now, um, but he was a good friend with Jill Barad, still running everything, and so um, I'm sure he was a huge influence bringing that in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and I, I probably took us down another rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> I was going to say, I want, Jill Barad pops up on the toys that made us several times, and she's always an interesting person to listen to. Somebody oh, yeah. I would like love to talk to at some point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get her at Starbucks. Her and I Chris. Know. It'll be a yeah, five-hour I, conversation. I'm not going to say anything else because this is recorded. <laughs> uh, you'll have to tell us later yeah well she and she's a very interesting person and, and honestly and, and she has her downfalls but she absolutely was the one who made barbie what it was and right. and that's why barbie has in my opinion that's why barbie died well hasn't right. died but it's it's lost it's it's thrown. No, she's died she's died i mean because uh, you know now they're trying to kind of grapple at like oh let's try this like thing let's make this inclusive doll let's try to make more diversity let's try to do this and they're just trying to struggle with everything i think it's just like how dreamworks really showed disney hey children maybe aren't as interested in traditional stuff as you think that they are i think that that's the way that some of these other toys have shown mattel like hey you know what kids maybe just don't want the typical toys like you have to think outside the box you know her yes. YouTube channel is doing great. Well, that's just because she has a following. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, she certainly has a lot of stories. Um, uh, yeah. That's that's the magic of Barbie, right? She can be anything. She can yes. tell any story. There's those great movies they made in the early to mid-2000s of different fairy tales, you know. The ones they did. Re- they did Rapunzel before Disney, but with mm-hmm. Barbie and. Well, and that was that was actually a tagline under when when Jill was running, which was, "We girls can do anything, right, Barbie?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, that's awesome. Yes, the Barbie movies are amazing. I love the they, Rapunzel one. They did a new one on Netflix called Barbie Princess Adventure, but they were trying to tie it into the Dreamhouse Adventure series, which is also on Netflix. And because they were trying to tie it in, it didn't go as well as when they had Barbie play a character and mm-hmm. tell an original story. Mm. I also adore the Life in the Dreamhouse series because it's just so ridiculous you just like it because of ken that's why well i mean he's he's (laughs) hilarious but i love midge oh really vintage character right you know she shows up and she's in black and white from willows (laughs) wisconsin (laughs) yep that was hilarious oh my goodness gracious my granddaughter at two and a half was given today her first barbie dream house and 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 uh and she knew exactly what to do she she'd had a couple barbies that she you know would rip the clothes off and and the other day i realized wait a second what do how do i get her into 
fashion dolls completely. And it struck me. I was at a toy show actually selling off some of my old toys. And I realized, oh, there's the answer. I went and bought her a set of um, frozen fashion dolls because I thought uh-huh. that would be the key for her because she loved that. But it's my my kids shot me photos or videos of her of my, of the granddaughter actually exploring the house and just the Barbie dream house and just with the dolls, like she's been playing with it all of her life. It was just very interesting to watch. Um, so anyway, uh, it's just, it's just fun to see all that in another generation. And I do think it's interesting how they have portrayed Ken in the latest movies. Cause I saw one the other day, I forget what, what movie it was. And I'm like, what was made, it about? God, that's what I'm, I'm, they went, oh, they went camping in the backyard. I think that was actually the show, the dream, because that was an adventure of Dreamhouse Adventure. That was an okay. episode of Dreamhouse Adventures. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. See, so it was kind of my, so my, my son-in-law has a niece who has asked if I can be her grandpa. So mm-hmm. I was at their house. So I, so I've got one grandchild officially, and I've got at least five now, you know, honorary <laughs> ones. And so we were at her house, and we were watching that episode, and I was just amazed that they made Ken into such a dork. And even, even Barbie's dad was a dork. It's like <laughs> oh we're going to make all the males dorks because we right. can, you know. Well, I think yeah, that also uh-huh. that's something that I write about a lot in my blog too. That um. They, there's been sort of a shift in princess media where princesses now play every role. They play the hero role. They play, like, the role of the person who gets attacked by the villain. They do everything themselves. So the male characters wind up with nothing to do anymore. <laughs> Whereas in the past, it was more balanced. Mm-hmm. And that balance no longer exists and i think that's a problem because it makes it more difficult to tell believable stories good for yeah. i think bad for writing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right i mean again there's going to be a lot of people that are pro that and then of course you know there's other people that aren't but i think as you know lisa and i have we talked about this before is that i think that sometimes the anti i'm not sorry not the anti but like the feminist movement is almost like anti-feminine in the sense that it's like you're so pushing to be the independent you know sole person that you're almost isolating anyone who wants to be that feminine role who wants to be that princess who gets saved like you're almost telling them no you're wrong like you know that's that's not what you should be doing and everything and I think that role play has been reflective of that whereas you said you know the boy characters like it used to be like oh i get the ken to go along with barbie but i think that now there's so many stories that it's just like well barbie is self-sufficient she doesn't need ken so now he's kind of just there for like comic relief essentially yeah, or yeah. you know or they know their audience and they know that hey we're we're obviously broadening and becoming much more, I guess, aware that we have a gay audience. So now let's target the Ken as the gay character or target it to the gay boys so that they have someone to identify with. Yeah, there was also an episode of Dreamhouse Adventures where I think Chelsea was trying to make a cake for 
Barbie and her parents for their anniversary, and Barbie had to go to a robot convention, so she (laughs) (laughs) video called Chelsea, and through the video call, she controlled a robot to make the entire cake from another location, and it's like, if she can do that, she can basically just rule the universe. Like, gonna go to a robot convention. Like Barbie oh. is now God. Like, <laughs> beings from like a hundred miles away through the phone. <laughs> well, it's funny if you go back to Men in Black Two, the villainess in that movie said, "Gosh, all you need on this planet is a good rack, and you could run the whole planet." So well, Barbie just did. showed us that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, and I'll I'll insert one thing since Greg you were talking about Barbie homes. <clears throat> Crystal Palace, please. I was oh. always upset that there was never a castle or a carriage. So I know that there was that little fold out ca- castle that kind of looked like I don't know. I mean, it looked more like Polly Pocket, but was there ever, ever in like your blue sky ideas that you wanted to make a castle set similar to like what She-Ra did with the Mattel castle? Absolutely. But the the tooling cost to do a big full She-Ra castle is enormous. Um, and so we knew that if that was going to happen, it would be way down the road. But I was, I remember at one point I had to approve the look of Robert's design for the castle. And um, I, I was told, you need to approve this so that if we ever want to make one, it'll work. Mm. And I, re- I remember thinking, well, there's no way at this point that this has a chance of making it. So, and Robert's design was really unique. I, I liked it. So, mm-hmm. I, I kind of shirked my responsibilities in that point um, because otherwise I would have dumbed down his castle. So mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, I, I left the integrity of it. And I, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, what I can do is I could make a tower, you know, almost like the one that the one that I made that, that you saw pictures of in for Enchanted Camelot, there mm-hmm. was no there was no artwork of that palace at that time. So that set came entirely out of my head. And um and, and so I, I knew once that was fully designed that that wouldn't work. Um it's a shame I really loved that that castle and I wish it didn't get to that it hadn't been destroyed, but I'm mm-hmm. sure it was. But um, but to offset that, we worked on several medium-sized play sets, one being the carriage. We had a couple different versions of the carriage, and it kind of opened up, you know, like like a, um, a Volkswagen Vanagon with a pop-top. <laughs> and so that it had areas for beds, and, um, and it was neat. It just, unfortunately, it was... There was too much to do, so the person who designed it was really an inexperienced, and it was too complex. Mm. Uh, and so I finally was, I finally got back to solving that need, and that was the the tent playset that 
was approved to go to to engineer for production. And that's just like the last thing that was shown before everything was stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also a. I forgot the exact name of it, but it was the it was a like a magical forest playset. But you guys probably know the name better than me. Oh, was it the Ravenwood Forest? It might have been. I don't know if you've ever told us the name. Okay, so yeah, so what it was is it it looked like a one of the magical trees for the teleportation, mm-hmm. or at least that was the that was the plan for it. Although it really didn't look like the ones from the that showed up in the cartoon, but we knew we could kind of fix it later if we had to. Mm-hmm. And the the idea was it would open up into a it was a big tree that would open up into a playset, and it had jewels all through it, like a uh, light bright. It's funny. I had to play the commercial in my head to get the name <laughs> of that. Um, light bright, so it exactly. <laughs> Making fun with light, light bright. Um, I never so, had one. Cool toy. That is really awesome. I would have loved to have a travel tree playset. Yeah. yeah and, and so you could actually, so you could light. It had a light on the inside, and then it had jewels, jewel, you know, all the wild jewels and the regular jewels you could plug in from the outside. Wow. All shine. Um. That one didn't get – that was kind of like the next one that was started after the um, the tent. Um, and there was something else I thought of the other day that was like, oh, yeah, there was another place that we did. Um, started – it was like, you know, it, maybe a cardboard mock-up of it. But now I forgot what it was. Um but yeah, the wagon was intended to go forward. Uh, we just hadn't finished designing it properly yet. Hmm. And that and that would have been cool. But the thing I did like that was a minor thing because I had to keep the price point so low on the the tent. But I made sure that there were eating areas for the girls and for the animals. So there was like a, a crystal feeding trough that snapped onto one of the tent legs. Um, mm. so, so they could also eat. So you could have all, so, so that your, your horses were your, as much of characters as your humans were. Well, speaking from my 10 year old memories, I think that the carriage probably would have been my number one choice to have had. And then probably a castle playset after that, the forest probably would have been my third choice, I think. And then I think I probably would have gone for the tent. So I don't know if you guys actually ever, like when you're creating these ideas, was it more or less just, okay, this is the best costing, so let's move forward with this? Or did you guys also use any of those potential prototype ideas in like play tests or anything like that? Or how exactly did that approval process go? Well, the only, once a, once a line was approved, you didn't get... You didn't have to go through much more testing. You, you, they didn't often go back into testing once a line was approved, although we did do that with G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we decided to start going a different direction, we tested a, a new direction there. But you hit on what the answer was. The answer was 
from their formulas, they decided, okay, if this is a $4.99 doll and a $6.99 doll, I forget the price points now, that the playset or accessory set that would go with it could only be, you know, one and a half times the price of the highest doll or something like that. Oh, is that how it is? It, it, they had a formula, and so they knew at least beginning you couldn't go over that. And it wasn't until the line would reach like 30 million in sales, then they would have said, okay, now you can do the playset. Because in order to do the playset, your price point is over $20, which you don't, at that time, you didn't make toys over $20 mm-hmm. retail unless there was electronics or something really elaborate in it. Um, so I didn't have a chance of, of doing, yeah, yes, the castle place that would have been the coolest part, but it would have been the most expensive part and that you, you have to have enough kids buying into the dolls themselves before it's worth spending the money to die, to, to go into the accessories. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Right. uh, let Let me, your basic stuff covered. Exactly. And you, you have to build the, the ground support for it, which made sense. Because if you, if, you, if you look at all their factors, and I know that they must have had studies on this, but, you know, they probably have to sell, you know, 100 dolls before someone buys the horse or, you know, those kind of things. And then or before they buy the accessory sets. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, so that they have been doing it long enough that they had you know, ideas in their head about how those things would work. Just talking about those price points makes me so upset at the fact that it was only like four or five dollars. It's like, I want to go back yeah. in time and just buy the whole shelf low, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was I, thinking I, that was a good time to buy. Know, right? <laughs> only everything still costs those prices. Oh my gosh, it's so sad. Because I mean, even I could, the only thing that I can really think of as far as like, um, you know, toys today, and I'm thinking about like Barbie, and it's like, okay, like the doll is like $15, and then the the castle's like a hundred and something dollars, and like well, accessory sets, you know. $15 if it's a base doll that doesn't do anything, if it's like a right. special doll. And they're like 20, 20, 25. 25. Mm-hmm. Prices certainly have gone up, Greg. <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, it's, uh, you know, I'm much older, so I remember when suddenly <laughs> G.I. Joe, you know, the 12-inch G.I. Joe hit the $10 price point. And that was, you know, I, I remember kids who were upset about that going, forget it. I'm going to buy Action Jackson, who's only half the size. <laughs> and half the fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. And, it was. and that was like like one of the crappiest lines ever. And then you... And I still get to get people on sites and things talking about how wonderful it was. It's like, do you have a bad memory? I mean, look at this. Look at those toys. Well, yeah, but the uh, thing is, is that that was within their price range, and their parents probably didn't want to spend too much money on something, so that's what their memories that they have. And that's true. It's true. And, and actually, by the time GI Joe went to that ten dollars price point, they had also cut out so much um, quality. That even it was funny because the toys were so badly engineered at that point that in the collector community, we now refer to those as the exploding G.I. Joe. Oh, no. no. Like because of like chemicals or what happened? 
No, they actually, in fact, I sold a, a female version of the adventure team just earlier this year, which actually sold for a bunch of money. And it was a beautiful doll. Absolutely beautiful. It was done in Europe. It was, but it was the exact same construction. And the reason we say it, it's a exploding one is while it was still in the package, never opened the joints deteriorated and it fell oh, apart. No. That's so sad. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, and I even even just trying to sell it, the pieces were crumbling in my hands. That's so sad. Well, speaking of European manufacturing, this is a good segue into our next conversation. So let's talk about the 12-inch fashion-sized Guinevere doll. From the photo, the only photo that it seems that we have, you had discussed that this was from, I believe, the London design team. So let's just kind of start that conversation then. Okay, let me go backwards just a little bit here to set the frame. Hasbro at that time had only three real design teams. They had other ones for like smaller, they kept buying companies. So for a while, they might have a design team over in Seattle where they just bought a new toy company, but there was three design teams. There was Rhode Island, which was the original Hasbro. There was Cincinnati, which was Kenner, which, um, you know, obviously was a huge design team and, and a lot of history and, and, and quality that they've been putting out for years. And then the third one was the London group. Now, I, I met people from the London group, and they, they were responsible for doing all of the Action Man products specifically. That was probably the biggest thing they did there because the G.I. Joe – jump around. I'll try to make this quick. G.I. Joe sold in Europe under the name Action Man because G.I. means general issue. It's a, literally an American term. So they had Action Man, and it's out, it sold the same time G.I. Joe did in Europe from 1964 to 1979, 78, 70, anyway. And then it kept selling. Even though Hasbro stopped selling it, they licensed it to a company named Toy, who was making the international version. So there was this huge version over huge markets still of that, and then – they when they resurrected G.I. Joe in the US, they resurrected Action Man for the European market and it was a huge deal. It was tons and tons of stuff. It's just amazing. There was there's probably a thousand SKUs of product. Um and so you had a very robust design team over there. And sometimes they would borrow some of the stuff I designed for G.I. Joe, and sometimes I a lot of it I borrowed their stuff. And so evidently, they, oh, so they also worked on Cindy, which Cindy was an established girl's property, a girl's fashion doll in in the UK, particularly. It sold very well. What I've heard different stories on this because I'm not an expert in this area, but I was told it sold really well until Hasbro bought it, tried to turn it into Barbie and made her look like a harlot. <laughs> And then the sales tanked after that. So then they no longer had this big line that they thought they had. They thought they bought the Barbie. But at the time, that Cindy doll was more of a cute girl next door, not a fashion model. 
And so well, it kind of and the irony up. is is that Barbie is based on the German kind of sexy doll. So exactly, Lily. Yeah, <laughs> Lily. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, so they had a team there, and then they so they took the tooling from the Cindy doll, and they took one of the horses from Cindy, and because as you mentioned, it was selling pretty well in France, they they put together a real basic Starla. And, and asked if we should do this. And ironically, so that was one part of this that happened. And that happened just about the same time as just before the line died. And I looked at the pictures and went, you know, 12-inch figures are my passion. So I'm like, of course I want a 12-inch Guinevere. I've wanted one the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, we did too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she would have been so cool. Um and I remember looking at it, and I remember that they said, you know, Greg, you have kind of the authority here because you're the one pushing everything. You know, tell them how to make this so it can be right and fit with what you're doing, which I was looking forward to doing. Ironically, at just before that, one of the other designers at Kenner actually suggested it. And, ooh, okay, this is being recorded, so I have to be careful what I'm saying here. Um, they thought it would be a good project for that person so they wouldn't so it wouldn't affect other things Um, and so that person actually designed a very basic figure and, um, and it was okay she actually did some interesting soft goods I mean she basically copied what I had done on the figure which wasn't bad and so I actually handmade clear armor helmets. One oh, set. Plastic or fabric? Plastic. So because she wasn't capable of doing that part. And so I, I made one set of clear armor with the helmet, with a, with a rotating visor, and a visor, chest plate, probably greaves and gauntlets. I'm assuming and that's discarded. Actually, I sold it. <laughs> oh, you sold it? I sold it off. But I can't. In fact, I was sitting here looking to see if I could find any pictures of it. Back to your yeah. comment, don't you copy everything before right. you get rid of it? And yes, I do. And but and so I may someday find those pictures because I would have had to have had pictures if I did that. Mm-hmm. But I can't find the pictures, and all the and and I I listed them pretty much just like what I said. This was the only ones that were done like that, and people had known that eBay store enough that there was enough real things coming from it. When it came out, they bought it. Someone mm-hmm. bought it. I think there was only like one bid. Um, but yeah, some, so someone that. has that set, um, and so it was interesting because. So there really was a push to make a 12-inch Guinevere from two different angles. But the only one that the photograph exists is the one from the London office. So was there ever a secondary doll itself since you made the armor, or was it only the Cindy doll that has really been ever made as a prototype? Well, there was there was the other doll that the other designer made where it really didn't look like that character. She took a Cindy doll also because we had been work. 
I can't remember the timing. We worked on Cindy in Cincinnati where we're going to make a big push in the U.S. for Cindy. And um, I can't remember if the timing was before or after Guinevere. It was was in that same time period anyway. Um, And we'd end up using some of that tooling for the Sabrina doll. Oh, the Sabrina doll. Yeah. Yay. I love that doll. So there was a doll made, but it was never a doll that was made a full present a full presentation model was never made in the US of a twelve inch figure. I see. You know, and it it's interesting because I can talk about the other sets that I Oh, I wish that we would have had the carriage. And yes, I made a carriage out of wood. But I would honestly say amongst fans, number one, definitely are jewels. Everyone seems to have made their own power jewels. So that was probably the number one thing that probably would have sold after the dolls. But second is fashion dolls. Like we get a lot of people who are like, oh, I'm making custom Jewel Rider dolls or I'm going to make a custom, you know, out of Barbie or something like that. So that's definitely something that a lot of the fans have taken to their own, you know, creative ways and made their own dolls. So I, I would have definitely been very popular. Yeah, I would have loved to have done fashion dolls for her. I, it would have. Yeah, that would have been a blast. <laughs> Kickstarter, <laughs> here we come. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Chris, you start it, and then everyone's gonna pay. What was the last one for the custom toys through Greg? You you find any way I can manage to make some more product on this, whether we you know whatever we call it. Um, I'm happy to do it. Uh, Ooh, yeah, I'm, we might I'm have to take you up on that. Let's <laughs> yeah. call it the Pern Riders of guardian camelot exactly (laughs) something that's nothing associated with the name oh well well actually i've been working on some dragons that i think you you guys have have been nice enough to to, um put those those um, links up and actually i did a new set of those dragons two new ones where a much lower price point um cute as a button these these new dragons and basically they just got a magnet and go around your neck they're they're the the weir weirums mm-hmm. Am, no, which is a dragon with wings but no legs and and they they hang around the shoulders they attach with the magnet they're, they're just beautiful and 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 i took them to a show and of course everyone wanted them but no one could pay the price because i they were all handmade but I, I'm working on a project with another company right now with a plush manufacturer. And if I can get these dragons made at a decent price, um, I may buy a container and see what I can do with them. Ooh. They are that stunning. That's like, I mean, you saw the ones that I did before and these other yeah, ones yeah, those were, were amazing. Just, like my, my granddaughter, you know, is still asking me when I'm making hers. Um, <laughs> Do the lower so, price point ones also have light up eyes? No, because oh, that was okay. one of the that was one of the heavy expenses. The light up eyes and actually the frame. And frankly, I realized that the frame was useless. The frame, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not useless. It's 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 fun, but it was very expensive to put that right. in. And so what we did is we ended up our favorite one 
because I my daughter's been helping me on this is actually we did a sand filled body so it it drapes on your shoulder beautifully and then the only frame is in the wings so you can pose the wings so it was best of of everything hung on your shoulder beautifully had wings that were jointed I wore it for a half an hour and forgot I was wearing it <laughs> ooh um yeah and it was and it was only held on by just the magnets of you know, making a loop so it stunk so it hung around your neck so that cut down cost too so sorry we're going way off of guinevere but i'm still trying okay. to make some fun interesting things to to make this work and yes i would be more than happy to make anything that i can along those lines if we can get you know people right. interested i think the thing is is that there is interest but just I think going back to like what you were talking about with the price point of the original toys, I think that unfortunately it's just, you know, especially with custom made toys, I don't think that there's a big enough audience, unfortunately, who can afford that. Um, that's, I think that's the only downside. So no, actually that's it exactly because the, the dragons that, that I was going to be, the dragons I have on Etsy because they're all handmade, they're $400 mm-hmm. and they wow. probably electronics and stuff like that. And, I made these other dragons to be, you know, only a $200 price point. But frankly, if I can get this factory to work on them, I could probably sell them for $20 a piece. And, and you'd sell them. a lot more. Yes, yes. you would. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've seen similar dragons for sale at nerd conventions. So, you know, maybe the science fiction nerds and the anime nerds are your way to go. Exactly. In fact, I think, I think if I could be at a science fiction convention – and have like I envision two trees in a booth full hanging with all these dragons on them. I'd probably sell every one in that situation. Probably. Yeah. Or go to a Ren Fair. Mm, yeah, Ren Fair people yes. have money. <laughs> yes. Well, I was gonna say, or they're willing to spend it, you know, on things like this. Well, I I just got back in touch with my old boss from Kenner. And um, she's actually doing handmade feltings of animals that are just, just gorgeous, just mm-hmm. amazing. She's always had the most amazing hand, a drawing hand ever. And her, her plush looks like it, her feltings look like it. And they've got frames and stuff. But she told me that I'm in the wrong selling space. I need to get off of Etsy. And she gave me the sights of some plush toy sites for collector ones where the price points are between 200 and a thousand dollars she's like this is where you need to be these people will buy those dragons so i will help you advertise your your custom non-jewel writers stuff right (laughs) yeah i I would say i feel like etsy has a price ceiling of about 60 dollars yes of what people would probably pay for a plush yeah that's and you're right. That's exactly what it is. So speaking of toys, I know we did have a couple. I don't know. Did we finish the Cindy conversation? Was that kind of everything? Yeah, that, you had? that is everything. I wish there okay. was more information on it. No, it's all it's all good. I, I just heard, I think I heard recently that Cindy is coming back, but her original look, her like stuff. cute pre Barbie ripoff look. Mm, <laughs> interesting. It immediately makes me think of that other doll that's out there. I see her like cheap stuff everywhere. What is her name? 
Chris, do you know which one I'm talking about? That's such a vague. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, but I'm like totally not trying to be stereotypical. But whenever I go to the um, swap meets, it's always all the Mexican ladies that always have these like dolls, and it's like there's like her house furniture and her and her everything. Like it's basically Barbie, but not the quality. Oh my gosh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Well, I'll think of it later. Right. Anyway, let me let me let me go one rabbit hole for you real quick. Okay. Um, you had mentioned about Ken, and I'm dying to say this. One of the funny things that I learned when I first started at Mattel was Ken is not a doll. Ken is an accessory. <laughs> oh, poor Ken. That is exactly Wasn't that a quote it, from Toy Story, one of the Toy Story movies? It might have been, and it was true. That is exactly how they treated it. Here is, here's Barbie, and here's her friends, but then here's her, the accessories. And Ken, the the Ken version was always an accessory. It was never a doll. And so That's even... so bad. Yeah, I, I brought that into when I was doing the Disney Classics, So because I did the, the Prince Philip doll, and I did the Prince... He's just called the Prince from Sleeping Beauty, and I went to go do the Prince from Snow White who was just called the prince also the is the prince yeah yeah and um and i did a beautiful doll that was sold someone owns the prototype someplace in fact i just sold off the horse because there was supposed to be a horse that horse from snow white and the prince and snow white were going to be a set but they didn't want another prince and so that's why in that between snow white I replaced the prince skew with a the the dancing dwarves. So it was it was sleepy on the bottom, sneezy on the bottom, and dopey on the top, and a big coat that went over the two of them. So it made that male figure to go play with, and um, it actually did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Well, the dwarves were in the movie a lot more than the prince, so. Right. I think that will draw a lot more interest. Yes. I'd be interested to see the if you have that prototype of the prince then, because that was always kind of like my, you know, like, oh, I need to find this. So I was always out looking for prince dolls because he's very rare to find in general. Yes. Um, you know what? I, I'm sure I have it. Yeah, I'd like so. to see it. I mean, I have a prince eventually, and I know that they made one, I think, in the 70s, but yeah, they don't really have too many of him. Yes. Um, Are we good with that rabbit hole? Yeah, uh, that was the whole thing there. Sorry. But, but yeah, Go I ahead. think in the last Toy Story movie, there was a scene where Bo Peep brought Woody to like a party of toys, and they were like, oh, is this your friend that you were telling us about? And then Bo Peep was like, oh, no, he's just my accessory. ridiculous and one of my friends said that she was shocked when she heard bo peep say that line she was like how could she say that but that might have been a reference to barbie (laughs) probably probably was um snow white prince i've got the pictures right here oh cool you have to send it to me i'm interested to see yeah because like i said snow white's probably my one of my top favorite films and i just it's always sad that there's never the prince because i was that child who wanted the whole set so it's so funny because even though i had the dwarves in that set i was always like i want the prince like i i'm glad i have the dwarves but i want the prince 
I think the Disney store might have released dolls of all the princes at some point. Yeah, they have. Like I said, eventually there's all the characters that have been released, but it's just the fact that that's like my favorite series. So I wanted a Mattel one, not Jack specific or whatever it is. (laughs) Actually, if you, so I made the original Beast doll. Mm -hmm. And um, I had that one. And and I had to hit a very tight price point. I, I was it was amazing that I actually achieved what I did on that price point. Was but, that the one with the removable head? Yeah. Okay. But the purple box. A few years later. Yeah, purple box. And he, and that one actually made the top. It was the only toy I, I know of of mine that hit in the top 10 best sellers of toys. Because he sold at that time, at that mm-hmm. time 1.2 million units. And wow. if you look at that at, you know, he was on shelf for $15 a piece. I mean, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the boy character at that. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, he sold, actually, he actually outsold Bell. Um, no. Yeah, really? For, you know, not entirely, but he did. I mean, it, it yeah, because that skew was on the top 10 bestsellers and Bell was not. Wow. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the other princes, you know, they're not necessarily the namesake, but to be a titular character like Beast or Peter Pan, yeah, same with Aladdin, right. So like Beast, Peter Pan, Aladdin, you kind of expect those dolls to sell better because they're more the main character. Yes. Well, and and an odd thing was after that, um, after I left Mattel, so this would have been Actually, it was, it was right around the year 1998. I had a company come to me and ask me to make a, a version of that doll um, for the Disney stores. And so mm-hmm. I made exactly what that beast should have exactly looked like um, without mm-hmm. worrying about the price point. And it was a gorgeous doll. Um, I had only one copy. I, I sold it off a long time ago, but oh, so it, they never actually went through with it. No, they sold it. It was on the market. Oh, it, okay. It was a, there, so there was a beast doll that transformed into a prince, sold at Disney stores, roughly around the year, let's say, let's say 2000, just to be mm-hmm. rougher there. And it was gorgeous. It had all the detail. It had a beautiful sculpted head. In fact, I got to art direct the sculpted head even. Wait, okay, so it has a plastic head that you slip over it. And was the head attached to the cape? Yes. Well, the one I had was. Right, because I have that one. It comes with the, isn't it, bells in her pink dress? And it was like a two-pack gift set that was in a pink box. At least that's the one I'm thinking of. I don't, I don't think I had that one. I think I bought the Beast separate. Like, I had a bell, but it was in her green dress. And if she was sold separately from the Beast, and the Beast was in his own box, and he had a plastic Beast head with a purple cape attached. And then when you t- took off the head, it was the prince. I don't okay. was, was that the one? Yeah. Was that the one where that head was just a rotocast shell of a head with no yeah. hair? Yeah, that's okay. the one I have, yeah. Yeah, that was. I'm sorry, that was a crappy one. Um, well, which is the one you're talking about? It was glorious. It Wait, had, is it the Disney Collector one? Is it the Mattel Collector doll one? No, this was sold only in the Disney stores. Well, then I don't know which one it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'll have to see if I can find pictures of it. I don't yeah. recall 
Offhand oh, right I now. found the ripoff Barbie, by the way. It's Gloria. Have you all heard of that one? The Gloria doll? No. Mm. I have you need not. to look it up. It's it's awful. Like, but she's <laughs> everywhere around Los Angeles. So you go to any swap meet, you're bound to find Gloria. Wow. Are those still <laughs> happening right now? Oh, I don't know. I don't buy them. It's just like, I mean, oh, swap nothing meet. Nothing is happening in Los Angeles right now. <laughs> no, I just meant like whenever you do go. Like, I would always see them. But before we do get into a very long conversation, I know we had someone who wanted to ask questions about another toy that, Greg, you worked on, I believe. Uh, uh, the, uh, the, the rocks? Um, yeah. Stormy, yes. you want to take it? Okay. I wanted to ask about treasure rocks because I really like treasure rocks. I didn't work on treasure rocks, but what I I can tell you what I do know. So they were designed in Rhode Island by one of the teams there and one of the the girls teams and really cool toy, which was you had a nice acrylic jewel solid acrylic jewel which was expensive because it was so thick so it had a long a longer molding rate time um but it was still they were gorgeous jewels and and then they were they, and then they were they were covered in sugar um and they just i don't know if they weren't marketed right or what but they just didn't take off and so my involvement with it was the marketing team was looking for a way to do a promotion. And so they found that those tools existed. And so they had, they picked one or two of the shapes and had them run in a few different colors and then hid them in the package, hid them as in, they were in the blister, like behind the doll's shoulder blades. And the intention was, and there was a, there was a little blurb, little violator in the lower right-hand corner that, um, that talked about it, you know, free hidden jewel. Uh, and then they were only supposed to be on the first three months of shipments or something. But yet they were in everything. They were because only those first three shipments for three months of shipments happened. Mm. There was no <laughs> order. So it was always in it. <laughs> yes. Just because they were the only shipments. <laughs> now, I thought that I had one. I thought that there was some that, that shipped without it. And it may have been just that I signed off samples that were ready for production to be shipped that just had the missing jewel. Because I know yeah. that I saw them in package, but they may not have been on shelf in package, or if they were, very low numbers. So if you do actually find one, it would be incredibly rare. It would be. Yeah, huh. because I remember they they purchased a specific amount of jewels, like twelve hundred jewels or something like that, or twelve thousand. I don't remember. I'm not good with a number unless I'm reading it off of something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but they they knew exactly how many would have those special jewels, how quickly the run would would happen, and and then there just wasn't reorder after that. Well, at least from archiving some of the other commercials, I have seen that Treasure Rocks 
It was pretty early. Like they, I think that they had like a, was it like a 93 commercial or 94 and then 95 when Jewel Riders was out. And I think that there was even like a 1996 commercial. So do you know if they had continued to produce it well kind of across a couple of years or was it something that was just kind of like, no, we only made it and it just, for whatever reason, they kept selling product? Um, they don't work that way. Okay. They don't, they, you know, they put out a product line and it sells or it doesn't. And if they, if the toy companies don't reorder it, they stop making it. So now it's possible they put it out for two years. What I would have to do is I would have to go back to my Kenner catalogs and see if it shows up in more than one year of a catalog. Um, I don't even know if they are in the catalogs. Chris, do you remember seeing them? Are they? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've now, seen Treasure Rock's um, catalog photos. Yeah. So it, here's the thing is the reason that you, you may not have seen them is in that couple years of catalogs before Hasbro went to digital catalogs is it was a binder and it had four or five inserts. One was the girls' toys one, which is where those Princess Guinevere pictures are from. And then there was one that was a boys' toys or an action figures one. And then there was other ones. There was a preschool one. And I think the other one may have been activities, something like that. So there was four or five insert ones that actually had a little metal loop on the spine of a special, like, uh, staple with a with a loop on it and so they would fit in these binders and i think i only have one set that may be complete um but i can they did that two years in a row um and i can i can look that up and see it should be in that catalog i just don't remember seeing them because we do have the jewel rider ones at least so the 95 and 96 or whatever those years are yeah yeah well, Stormy, did that answer your question, or do you still have well, more questions? It did. I am. I am sad to hear that Greg did not actually work on the Treasure Rocks because, in the depths of my heart, I had a secret hope <laughs> that he could steal those molds for me. Because I've been trying to make molds so I can make my own Treasure Rocks, Ooh. and uh, my mold making skills not so good. <laughs> well, now I'm just curious. Did you have these as a kid, or did you pick and- these up in later years? I, I had them when they came out. I had them uh, at the same time I was watching Jewel Riders. And in oh, fact, okay. the show and the yes, Treasure Rock. used to mail me some with my Jewel Riders tapes. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. That's very cool. <laughs> in fact, I remember one time you mailed me two sets, one for me and one for one of my friends, which was really nice. See how many lives Stormy touched so early on in the internet days. I seem to have done, and it makes me very happy now, even though I can't do these things at all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's okay. I never knew about the Treasure Rocks. It's just the only, and I think that it would have sold me on it, was the song. I mean, the marketing for these things were amazing. (laughs) Yeah, the Treasure Rocks song is one of those things that'll like you know in inside out when they just go and they shove an old advertisement song into your brain (laughs) (laughs) that's the treasure that's so funny i think 
I'm going to make a mashup of that scene and put treasure rocks. <laughs> you just good. inspired me. <laughs> a, a, a funny story for you along these lines. I was at Mattel at this particular time, and the Hart family line was doing well. I mean, it was selling well, but they would never ship it on time. And so the retailers stopped selling it because it wasn't being shipped on time. Um, and the reason it wasn't being shipped on time is because it was being run by the Barbie group. So they put it over in our group, and I was in charge of it for for one year. That and I worked on the Disney version of Hard Family. That was that was my year. But when that started, when when it was turned over to me, I remember one of the marketing people bragging, "I got rid of that stupid Hard Family song." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How do you forget that? Da, 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 da. It's the family with the heart. It was a. It was like, oh my gosh, what type of a moron are you? Any right. kid would 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 whistle that song exactly. or play that song. Oh, oh well. <laughs> That's so sad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you ever want to get rid of something that children remember forever? Yeah, right. I, exactly. <laughs> Preciable marketing. I don't get do that. that. Well, and, and part of it is you you had people there, and and this is common, but you like like Jill Barad would make decisions about what what people want at Toys R Us, and she would have been the last person in the world to walk into a Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so it was always funny, and and I think that particular marketing person was in that same ilk. Because um, I, I do remember that person showing up at a Disney meeting once, a Disney brainstorming off-site casual clothes, and her casual clothes that she wore, I know would have paid for you know, a quarter of the clothes I owned mm-hmm. um, in one outfit. Um, it's like, okay, we didn't mean Gucci casual clothes today. Did you not get that memo? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh well. And now I completely lost the train of thought we were on. But oh, talking about treasure rocks. <laughs> that is like I said, I'm gonna do an inside out video. <laughs> I actually uh re managed to reuse the little jewels that came with the jewel riders dolls when I took a shop class and we were making these uh it was like a wooden toy where you stretch a wire into a certain shape and then you try to put um a wired you try to run a wired loop along it without making the light bulb go off because if the two wires touch then a light bulb goes on and i wanted to do one of a unicorn Mm -hmm. so i I think i put the light bulb on the unicorn's horn or something but i wanted to cut the wood in the shape of the unicorn and my teacher was like that's way too complicated just (laughs) put it on where and I was like but then it will it loses some of the effect and they were like well you could use something nice to make it stand on or something so I I glued four of the jewels that came with my jewel rider dolls to the four corners of the square and that was hmm. the stand okay <laughs> Ooh, that sounds really cute question well, Chris, for you yes did, did the jewels actually come out in blue but they were everything. Yeah, okay. because they, there was blue as well, because Drake came with blue. Okay. And in fact, 
I think that sometimes he came with blue, sometimes he came with green. And then Kale yeah. also came with blue, I think. But the, the color of the jewel usually matched their jewel armor. Exactly, yeah. It was the color. Right. Sometimes, though. But, like, Guinevere, Fallon, and Tamara always had the clear, the pink, and the yellow stones. Okay. But I, I was going to say, Chris, do you remember that we also used those as, like, the crown jewels so like we would hide them and we would have the dolls search for them yeah i think in play they ended up being you know stand-ins for the crown jewels or later wizard jewels or right. you know so greg even though we never got doll-sized jewels we still use those essentially for the jewels so oh, exactly. that was our play that was our play feature <laughs> I, I i remember in when i was doing that i i had found this super ball which was it was a about a inch diameter but it was clear with glitter in it and so i used that as as an orb of power that my gi joes had to go find you know so i I get Mm -hmm. it but i did run across a bag in my odds and ends of 10 of those blue jewels and um i had them i was gonna sell them off at a show the other day so i thought i'd let anyone know in case they maybe i should put them on ebay yeah so See what happens. It looks like you yeah, sold that clear armor. Awesome. Hey, yeah. someone might buy them. Just put yeah. them on. The, I think, like I said, I think it was mostly Lady Kale, but then also Drake would occasionally come with a blue jewel. Okay. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts? Any other things that anyone has questions about toys? Any, f- any fun things you're working on right now, Greg? Oh, actually, I am having a blast right now because I am. There's a small um, railroad, the oldest surviving railroad in the United States, Strasburg Railroad in Pennsylvania. And and they actually, they've got a little tiny theme park where you get to, you can go in trains, you can go on train rides and do some fun kid things. And part of their business also is restoring and fully functioning um, diesel train, not diesel trains, um, you know, steam trains. trains. They are, they redo the ones for Disney world every couple of years when they need to be redone. Um, and because of a Hasbro contact, they ended up reaching out to me and I have designed them, designed characters for them to help get, draw more kid involvement into their world. I mean, because for the most part, if someone's going to a train yard like that, it's an old uncle or a grandpa going, hey, I want to show you trains. You know, you haven't <laughs> What's a train? Exactly. And so what I, I did. Fax machines and train. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, went into, I went into a Best Buy once and I said, I'm looking for, what was I looking for? It was a DVD something. And and, and they looked at me funny. I said, it's probably next to your abacuses. (laughs) Right. That probably went over their head as well. I wanted a portable DVD player, and they just looked at me like I was from Mars. uh, Oh, my goodness. It's over there next to the carbon paper. That's right. (laughs) Rotary phones. (laughs) Princess style. One for every room. So I got to design these characters and not just the the look of the characters, the background story on the characters, the characters themselves and designing toys. I'm actually working with the factory to get these toys made and 
I'm currently making a walkabout costume for one of the characters right now, and we'll be doing a second one soon. And I actually showed up to their board meeting the other day. They told the board board of directors that they were going to have a special guest, and here this giant bear jumps into the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it went really well. And I'm like, I'm like, think of it this way. I did the whole speech about how you got to, you know, bring show show something the kids can relate to connected to the train so they want to get involved and you you step them up in this process and you get you know you get and then you need the fun of it and so i I came up with all these really cool slogan things for the bears that would be interested in the kids and tie into train stuff and and then i'm like okay so here's the elevator speech hollywood elevator speech um larry the cable guy meets Smokey the bear at a train yard which was a good way of describing that particular character, which we, he was really fun. But anyway, that has been a blast. I have had so much fun doing that project. And, and it looks like a, there's a female character too. That's kind of a Rosie, the riveter bear. Um, and, and so you've got that female empowerment there too, which is kind of neat. And it's just, it's very timely. And so it's really neat doing these things. And um, it's, I'm at an interesting stage where things are starting to break into a bunch of different directions and it'll be interesting to see how things go, but um, I'm having fun at the moment. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Got some good stuff going on. All right. Well, thank you so much to Greg and Lisa and Stormy for coming on the show today and sharing their toy memories and toy knowledge and jewel riders knowledge and everything with us uh we had a great time and we want to wish you all a very happy holidays and merry christmas if you celebrate and if you want to find out more from the jewel riders archive you can find us at www.jewelridersarchive.com and if you want to find out more from Lisa at the Princess Blog, you can find it at theprincessblog.org, where she writes about tons of great princess content, including jewel writers. And if you want to find out more from Greg, he has a brand new website, gregplaycreative.com. It's not quite launched yet, but hopefully by the time this episode goes live, you should be able to find some cool stuff there. And if you want to buy anything from Greg, you can visit his Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Greg Play Creative. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure as always. It's always fun to talk about toys. Always. Oh, yes. Always. Yes. <laughs> and if, if you're good, Santa might bring you treasure rocks for Christmas. <laughs> Will he really? You promise me? But I want a four ninety nine jewel rider toy. <laughs> Not a forty nine ninety nine or a four hundred. I was gonna say forty nine. I'm more like a hundred and nine. Yeah. Greg, your things have inflated by about four thousand <laughs> percent. It, it is really funny seeing that now. It's like there's a certain time period, then things get more expensive. That's like okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> that was what never the retail price point. Fifty dollars. No. Well, it's, it's funny too. When I was I sold off some figures the other day. They were Centurions, and they were selling. If you got a complete out of the package, ninety five dollars. It's like mm-hmm. for one figure. And it used to be that a GI Joe vintage 
was $100 for any figure complete. Well, now you can buy them for 20 bucks mm -hmm. because there's a lot of copies of them out there and also kind of the age of people who were buying those now have grandkids and they're spending their money on those. Right. Would somebody tell that to the moon dreamers so I can buy one of them for $70? Maybe if you're good, Santa will give you one. <laughs> I sold off all my moon dreamers ones. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and if they want to find out more about Jewel Riders, Chris, where do they go? Yeah, you can find us at like I said earlier, jewelwritersarchive.com. Lots of great new content we just updated in the last couple of months. Uh, lots of never-before-seen images and blog posts and all sorts of new information there. And if you want to find our social media, you can find us usually at jewelwriters or at jewelwritersarchive. And if you want to find out more episodes of this podcast, you can find us at jewelwritersarchive.podbean.com for tons of great episodes featuring Greg, and Stormy, and Lisa, and all of the circle of friends for Jewel Writers. And as we always like to say at the end of our podcast, friends together, friends, friends forever. Friends forever. Bye, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.